Welcome to the No-Till Farmer Influencers and Innovators Podcast. I'm Brian O'Connor, Lead Content Editor for No-Till Farmer. Source by Sound Agriculture sponsors this podcast about the past, present, and future of no-till farming. In today's episode, No-Till Farmer Editor Frank Lesseter speaks with Randall Reeder, retired Ohio State Ag Engineer and No-Till Legend, about the history of ridge-till farming. Here's Frank and Randall. Let's talk about your uh, experiences years ago with ridge-till, and uh, we'll get into what happened to ridge-till in the country. I inherited a ridge-till project, uh, research with ridge-till, chisel plow, and maybe one other system up at our Northwest Research Branch. I inherited that from Don Eckert and just maintained it. We added no-till uh, mm-hmm. years after that. That was in the mid-80s. We added no-till to it, and then uh, eventually we tried to add cover crops. But we've got at least 10 to 15 years of ridge-till uh, data. Sure, and um, the results looked pretty good, didn't they? Yes, they did. And there was a the debate and you would understand this, that all plots needed to be planted the same day in order to have good research. Well, of course, ridge till dried out quicker than the plowed ground. So eventually they decided that, okay, we'll plant when it's ready. One spring, I don't remember the year, but the ridge till got planted about a month earlier than the other plots just because it was dry and then it uh, led to a lot of rain. So that was, that's clearly one of the advantages of ridge tillage. Right. And uh, maybe a little history, we should go back and talk about how it got started in the late 40s and 50s. uh, Farmers in Nebraska began drilling irrigation wells and they began flood irrigating. And I think ridge till kind of caught on then when they were making bridges for furrow irrigation. And after that, they would, uh, plow them up or disc them up, and then they'd start and build the ridges the next year for furrow irrigation. So I think that's how ridge till really got started out in Nebraska. Probably so. And there's so many, at the time, there were so many advantages of ridge till. Probably a lot of young people today that don't even realize what we're talking about. But the idea of having an elevated ridge where the corn would be planted the next year, typically 30-inch row spacing, all the tires had to run between those rows. And today, when we think of the big, wide tires on combines and other equipment, you can see the difficulty of doing that. Uh, the solution there was if you had big equipment, you, you had uh, split duels 30 inches apart. Uh, and then you would scrape off the top of the ridge at planting time. In other words, there was nothing done to the field after harvest. Then scrape off the top of the ridge, just a very shallow amount uh, right ahead of the planter, in other words, the same unit, and plant right on that bare ground. Then uh, maybe twice, uh, in other words, after the corn came up, you'd cultivate it. And then at the, the second time when the corn, well, you'd have to get in to cultivate it the second time before the corn got too tall for the tractor to get through. And at that time, you would reform the ridge. And that way, you were also knocking down weeds or, or minimizing weed growth right there in the row because you were covering it up with loose ground. And that was it. That was the last operation until harvest. 
So on the second cultivation, how tall would you want your ridge to be? Well, <laughs> probably some people would say as high as you could get it. Yeah. <laughs> it was probably, uh, well, at the time you formed it, the top of the ridge would probably be at least uh, six or eight inches higher than the valley in between. Sure. Uh, and what you would like to have in the spring then at planting time after that ridge settles down, uh, you want to have uh, probably at least four or five inch ridge so that after you plant, and this was very important to make sure that after you plant, the, the row is still higher than the row middle. Sure, right. So these ridges, even uh, with the combine running over to them, they pretty much didn't uh, fall down or come back level in the fall, right? Uh, well, the combine needed to run between the, between the ridges right. also, which right. meant okay. for a lot of combines, that meant split duels. Uh, if the rows were 30 inches apart, then the maximum width for a tire was uh, about 22 to 24 inches. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, much of that time, the uh, radial tires came in, but bias tires were much better uh, for the ridges uh, because you didn't want the tire to flatten out like, like ideally you do now yeah. when we're talking about no-till. So are there still farmers doing ridge till in Ohio? Oh, I, I cannot name one. I don't know. And one, one of the problems I always saw was um, – with people that had livestock, when you should be making these two cultivations, you should also be making hay uh, about the same time. That's uh, that's a very legitimate concern because that at least that second cultivation probably occurred in, in the middle of June, maybe mm -hmm. maybe as late as the first of July, but more likely uh, early to mid June. Is Ohio State still doing the research on ridge till, or has that gone away? No, it's it's gone away. And actually, we the plots that I referred to in Northwest Ohio, we switched the ridge till to uh, no till. When did you do this? I don't I don't remember the year, but it was in the mid. It was in the, um, 1995 to 2000. I should yeah. look that up, Frank. But oh, I that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> But, I mean, you um, you had some ridge till field days, and I I remember once I joined you on a bus tour to Iowa to look at ridge till, and uh, there, there was quite a bit of interest in it. Uh, there was it it was and it is a great system. Uh, I've mentioned for quite a while that if you're in organic production, mm -hmm. ridge till is much easier to manage than trying to do it with no till and and. Uh, intensive cover crops to control the weeds. The yeah. ridge till has, has almost an automatic method of, uh, of weed control just by doing the practices that we described earlier. So when you were talking about the ridges being drier and warmer, how much drier and how much warmer might they be than the regular seed bed that, that was there? Uh, well, you could have water. <laughs> I've seen this. You could have water standing in the valley between the, between yeah. the ridges and the ground was actually dry enough that uh, you, you could drive through <laughs> water in the furrows and plant, and it was ideal condition on the ridge. Right. Was it normal to plant? You, you said you planted some ridge till a month earlier. Was it normal to plant a couple of weeks earlier than the other tillage systems or not for a farm? Uh, probably, probably more average would have been uh, up to a week mm -hmm. earlier. 
what kind of soils did roots still really work on? Uh, Well-drained, poorly drained, whatever. Well, in Northwest Ohio, we've got poorly drained soil unless it's tile drained. And mm -hmm. it, it was ideal on that Hoytville silty clay loam. One of the interests that you had over the years has been controlled traffic. Is this what got you interested in controlled traffic? <laughs> well, I, I like that question, Frank, because a ridge still requires controlled traffic. You're not allowed to drive on the ridges. So that was a natural environment. One of the farmers that I worked with in those early days had a, a white four-wheel drive tractor. And here's the best way to describe it. He removed the inside duels. Mm -hmm. So the outside duels that were single tires at that time uh, were 10 feet apart. His equipment was all 20 feet wide. Uh, everything, combine, sprayer, uh, the tractor. So every every 10 feet, he had a track. And that was that was a really great system. I did a calculation on it, and it was less than 20% of the ground was covered with a track, so 80% undisturbed. How about that? Was um, ridge till used primarily in corn or also in soybeans or both? Uh, it was used in corn-soybean rotation, and back then it wasn't all that unusual to have soybeans on 30-inch row spacing. Sure. The bushy variety. But I've commented, and you probably have too, that what what killed or re greatly reduced ridge till was the John Deere 750 drill, which meant that you were you could drill soybeans in a no-till situation on seven-inch row spacing, and then uh, Roundup came in, Roundup ready soybeans. I think those two things, more than anything else, caused farmers to switch from ridge till where they had to plant had to plant soybeans on 30 inch rows and go to uh, a no-till with corn soybean rotation with drilled beans right did it take a lot of horsepower to pull a ridge till unit maybe an eight roll uh i don't remember the horsepower but it would it would have been less than than a full tillage system sure. right do you think most of those people that were doing ridge till eventually ended up on no in no till? I that that's my in implication of it because they saw the advantage of not doing intensive tillage, mm -hmm. so uh, just go to straight no till. In fact, I know one farmer here in Central Ohio who just went directly from ridge till to no till, so he still had a little bit of a ridge. Sure. <laughs> and uh, and that worked well. Of course, they worked down after a, a year or two. Is wheel controlled traffic or wheel traffic actually catching on these days or? Controlled traffic. And I even invented a term called uh, precision traffic. Uh, unfortunately, it did not catch on. <laughs> but uh, with all the precision agriculture that we have today, auto steering. Uh, sure. When you can stay within an inch. Uh, every trip through the field is just a a great a great situation to adopt uh, controlled traffic for all all the equipment um, and <clears throat> with ridge till as kind of the background of that uh, farmers who who had the ridge till equipment uh, could easily stay with controlled traffic if they chose uh, now with the auto steering. Uh, 
I can get into some details on that, but you have to have all the equipment match up in width uh, or multiples. So if you had a 12 row corn planter, that's 30 feet. Sure. Uh, some today are 16, so that's 40 feet, uh, which means, so let's use the 30 foot for the examples. And then uh, the combine needs to be 12 rows or six, but usually it would be 12 rows for a big farmer. Uh, then the sprayer would likely be uh, a multiple of 30. So it'd either be 60 or 90 or maybe even 120 so that the spacing matches up. Well, in the early days, we had some uh, mechanical ways of trying to keep the planter on the ridge. It was kind of a forerunner of GPS almost, but it was mechanically. You would add these attachments to your tractor or your uh, ridge till planter. Can you describe what those were? Or be some people don't know what we're talking about. One one of them was a, a pair of V-shaped tires, uh, yeah. and that might be at each end a wide system. So those tires were angled so they would run on each side of a ridge and and keep the equipment there. Um, there were a couple of others that uh, used a different. Well, one I think had had some type of smaller. Uh, system like that on each row, but probably the more common was to have a pair of those, two pairs of those tires mm-hmm. on, on the rig, cultivator and planter. So what about the uh, use of uh, residue? Some residue got moved. You would move it off the uh, the ridge, right? Right. You were you were removing, uh, like I said, uh, and you know, let me show you the book. Uh, we put out a conservation tillage systems and management book back in 1992 was the first published publishing but then the second edition came out in uh, 2000 and there's a chapter in here that's what this pink (laughs) slip is for describing ridge till planting equipment Uh, paul yasa who's still around Mm -hmm. university of nebraska and george ream of uh, minnesota were the authors of those of that chapter I had full description there of uh, the Ridge Hill system and, and all the attachments and details about it. Well, Paul was like you. He was an ag engineer, but George was a fertility guy. And uh, can you talk a little about what were the best fertility programs with Ridge Till? I mean, we got into banding instead of broadcasting and deep banding, I think. Um, I think that's and that was another key with the control traffic. And now we think about with precision agriculture that we can put fertilizer exactly where we want it in terms of uh, within the row, under the row, or two inches from it, uh, and do that precisely every year. With ridges, you're planting in the same position year after year, so the fertilizer could be placed right there in that that ridge. Mm -hmm. Side dress liquid nitrogen, Again, that was often done at that second, well, it could be done at the first cultivation, but more likely at the second cultivation. And you just uh, dribbled that liquid nitrogen right beside of the row and then covered it up with the loose soil with the ridge till equipment. So that was all one operation. We'll come back to Frank Lesseter and Randall Reeder in a moment. I'd like to first thank our sponsor, Source by Sound Agriculture for supporting today's podcast. Source from Sound Agriculture unlocks more of the nitrogen and phosphorus in your fields, 
so you can rely less on expensive fertilizer. This foliar application has a low use rate and you can mix it into your tank for a free ride into the fields. Check out Source, it's like caffeine for microbes. Learn more at www.sound.ag. Before we get back to the podcast, here's Frank Lesseter with some Ridgetail notes. In this week's podcast dealing with Ridgetail, we also talked about the tires and soil compaction. And it brought up a, a study that Marion Comer had done on his farm in uh, Alpha, Illinois a few years back. He found when the when corn rows were planted on the center of the rear tire tracks of the tractor, yields averaged 182 bushel per acre with corn. But when corn rows were planted on the edge of the rear track, tire tracks, you got 184 bushel per acre. So there's a two bushel per acre difference just between where you whether you plant in the center or on the side of the tire track. Now back to Frank and Randall. From uh, harvest in the fall until planting in the spring, that combine would have put residue on top of the, the ridge. And then you would clear it off with the planter in the spring? Correct. Yeah. So the, at planting time, uh, once, the, once the planter went through, there would probably be a, well, maybe a six-inch wide strip of bare soil. Sure. And all the, all the residue would be in the row middles. Right. So this uh, more residue in the middles helped hold moisture, helped reduce soil erosion. Uh, but the residue over the winter kept erosion at a minimum, I think. Right. Correct. When it, so the, the, ridge, the ridge stayed in place. It didn't, uh, didn't slough off into the middle. Right. And one, one other point, I think it was Ernie Bain, first time I heard this, the farmer in Iowa. Sure. When you uh, scrape off the top of that ridge, you're scraping off any weed seeds that might be there. So you're getting rid of the, the seeds that may have fallen on top of the ridge, any weed seeds. So right. then the cultivation takes care of that. Yeah. So if you did have weed seeds, they moved it into the middles and then you got it with the two cultivations. Right. Right. I've been to Ernie's place years ago and uh, he was a big believer in ridge till. Uh, for many years. Right. He was a major proponent, wrote a book on it. Uh, yep. Here closer to Ohio, John Alexander, who just across yep. the Indiana border, uh, just north of I-70, was a big proponent of ridge till. So uh, somebody wants to go organic. Ridge till still makes sense for him? It makes a lot of sense to me. Now, you can do it no-till. <laughs> I know some prominent farmers who are doing uh, organic farming no-till. Rodale promotes it in Pennsylvania. And I think the key when you go no-till is to have cover crop planted and probably uh, at least double the amount of seeding rate uh, so that next following spring, you're going to have, <coughs> uh, for example, cereal rye. Uh, growing tall and and would lay down and, and give you virtually 100% cover on the soil right. surface to control the weeds. And that's, that's necessary to accomplish that. With ridge till, the way we've just been describing it, <clears throat> you're using a cultivator. And after that second cultivation where you've rebuilt the ridge, 
pretty soon the corn, I'll use corn as an example, is going to canopy over. So you'll have very little weed growth the, the rest of the season. So what happens to these corn roots when you, you, you plant in, in the ridge, then they will, when, they, when they go down, will they, they will go out into the valleys, grow out into the valleys? Uh, they, they mostly grow down, but at a field day, we used a back end. We dug down a, across, clear across the planter. Sure. And um, and oh, here's something we didn't even, didn't even mention yet. But uh, where you have that ridge tail for several years, where the wheel tracks are, you'll have a firm, compacted layer. Uh, and then the example I'm going to mention here, about uh, about six inches deep. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's ideal. You're driving on that. So you want firm ground to drive on. Well, interestingly, the corn roots from the rows next to a traffic row go down under that six inches. In other words, you don't have any roots in that compacted huh. layer, six or yeah. seven inches, but uh, but they will run down under that. Of course, when you've got corn roots going uh, three, four, five feet deep, uh, they're going to get down into the entire soil profile. Right. Well, that's interesting how they would go down in the berms till they got below the compacted area and then they would spread out. Right. Right. One of the things we used to hear from ridge tillers is they, they would get mad at no-tillers because we had some no-tillers that really bad-mouthed ridge till. They didn't have any use for cultivation. And uh, they thought they were too many trips and burning too much fuel. But now today you look at strip-till uh, and strip tills doing a number of things that the ridge tillers did. Can you elaborate on that? Uh, well, in, in, at our farm science review, we had three strip till machines that ran there. And I talked to uh, one man from Yetter who talked about the growing popularity of strip till. And, uh, and strip till is considered a officially no till by sure. the USDA NRCS. Uh, that the thing about strip till is that you're tilling a narrow strip, uh, and that may be, again, I'm referring to 30-inch wide corn rows. Uh, that tilled strip might be eight or 10 inches wide altogether, and that's going to be bare, bare ground. Right. It will not be a ridge. Um, at least it won't be a ridge at planting time. Yeah. But the idea is to keep all that loose soil right there so it doesn't uh, get thrown out into the away from that strip. Usually the strip till equipment will run uh, six or eight, six to eight inches deep. And ideally today you would be applying fertilizer uh, with that piece of equipment. So you're doing two operations at once. Do that in the fall of the year and then it's ready to plant the next spring. Um, Some people are doing a strip till operation in the spring. In fact, I, one piece of equipment would ran shallow, so only three or four inches deep. It was not intended to break up uh, deeper layers, and that was designed in the spring. Here in eastern Corn Belt, uh, the soil is wet. We get 40 inches of rain, so we're, wait- we're waiting until the soil dries out to plant in April or May, Whereas in uh, the Great Plains and Nebraska, for example, uh, they want to retain all the moisture they possibly can. Uh, so for us, it's, it's good to have uh, some bare, 
fair ground there. Okay. So that's one of the that's one of the sales points of strip till. But in the in the fall, they might be deep banding, say phosphorus, and then they would be building a little ridge that wouldn't be as high as a ridge till ridge, but they'd be building some kind of ridge, and uh, and they come back in spring, and then you got controlled traffic that works with strip till, right? Can or pretty much. You're not doing any cultivations, and you're banding. You're not broadcasting fertilizer, and you're getting it in the you're getting it in the strip till ridge, not uh, in the valleys. So I, I've always thought that uh, strip till is was built around the basics of ridge till for some <laughs> to some extent. Some uh, people disagree with me, but no, that's 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 a good observation, and uh, I would say. <clears throat> Because the three strip till rigs that were demonstrated, and, and my, almost all of them do have some kind of a rolling basket sure. back, so it breaks up the clods. And yeah, well, when it's first done, yes, there's a little bit of a ridge there, but it it levels out as the, as that loose ground settles down. Right. Here, here's one of the uh, disadvantages with ridge till: if you've got a two or three percent slope going up and down a slope you're likely to get uh, erosion in that strip and there's and i've seen this <laughs> places where the soil eroded completely emptied the strip that was tilled so you might have a ditch there four or five inches deep and you can also have cover crops with strip till uh, so it can be a plus you could i guess you could do it two ways you could either drill or aerial apply the cover crop seed before you do the strip till, and then you're just uh, wiping out a small percentage of, of the cover crop, which is going to grow between the strips. Or you could even uh, set up a drill so that you were just drilling this cover crop seeds uh, between those strips. Besides no-till farmer, we do we have a publication called Strip-Till Farmer, so we, we do a benchmark study, and uh, the majority of people are building their strips in the fall, but there, there's some that really believe in building them in the spring, and then we got some guys that, uh, some farmers that do them both in the fall and spring, or, or if they don't get them built in the fall, they build them in the spring, but uh, what do you see as the benefits of uh, building strips in the spring? How the necessity would be one. Well, compared, yeah, compared to no-till, well, let me phrase it this way. If you can't get the strips built in the fall because it, it gets wet immediately after harvest, sure. if you can't get them built, then you're comparing, all right, do I just uh, build them in the spring or do I just straighten no-till? Right, right. And the advantage of building a strip in the spring would be having that uh, narrow strip of bare soil to plant yeah. into. Yeah. Uh, so that ground might dry up a, a day sooner. In that right. Probably warm up a little quicker too. Uh, dry, well, dry and warm, yes. So cover crops probably weren't a good option for ridge till. I, I'm trying to think whether anybody, I can't remember anybody using cover <laughs> crops in ridge till. Uh, <laughs> but we got, we certainly got a number of strip tillers that are uh, doing it. I do remember, uh, there were some experiment. Now this wasn't research, but I I recall seeing some wheat uh, drilled on on ridges. Right. Uh, so of course that didn't work very well. It was much more likely to have a corn soybean rotation or continuous corn. Right. Uh, 
Well, that was one you, and I, I remember being in Illinois, a couple of farms where they were totally ridge tilled, but they were, most of their acreage was continuous corn and they thought they had some real benefits for that. Right. And uh, yeah. cultivations gave them a chance to control some of this heavy residue, although what we call heavy residue today wasn't what they had for heavy residue <laughs> in those days. But right. So what's going to happen? We're going to see some more changes in tillage practices. What's new? It's going to come. Oh, well, (laughs) when the price of diesel went up this spring, uh, we saw some farmers that had intended to do tillage in the spring. Mm -hmm. It just went directly to no-till just to save that tillage, the diesel tillage. So that's one tendency. I think a more important one, maybe a couple of them, relate to water quality. Mm-hmm. Uh, we mentioned injecting the dry fertilizer in the, well, injecting fertilizer instead of spreading it on the surface. That That's a big deal in our Lake Erie watershed where we've got algae problems in the lake. Uh, there's a lot of money being invested by state and federal government to help farmers adapt practices, cover crops, injecting fertilizer are two prime examples. And of course, no-till to to keep that phosphorus on the farm, in the field, right where it's supposed to be, not not moving or not not even moving into a two-stage ditch, for example. And I think we got similar issues in the, in the Mississippi River Valley with the Gulf of Mexico problem, especially with nitrogen. Sure. So we've got to get precise rates and in terms of dry fertilizer, get that injected. So it's more much more likely to connect with soil particles and stay right there in the soil where you put it, right under the, right under the row or right near the row. Well, we, we talked a little bit about uh, ridge till and uh, moving heavy corn residue away, particularly of continuous corn. And uh, we, we've had some no-tillers who've tried continuous corn, and we've had no-tillers that really made it work. And then we've had some people say there's too much residue, but they see strip-till as a w- means of uh, kind of moving that residue and letting them do continuous corn. And I, I, I don't know, do some ridge-till, ridge, strip-till farmers probably plant in the same row position, but I think there's several others that would move over into the row middle. So they yeah. switch 15 inches every right. every year. And that way they are avoiding the corn root balls. Yeah. But that defeats any possibility of a, of a controlled traffic system. But that also gives them more reason that they need to strip till to move that residue off that new planting area, which was in the valley the year before. So. Uh, and that's, yeah, that, that's part of the system. And probably the reason, probably the reason they would do it, do strip till form the strips in the row middles yeah. would be because that residue is easier to handle and move out of the way right. uh, compared to trying to build a strip right back in the same row position. What have I missed talking to you about ridge till and strip till and no till? Ah, oh, well, I don't know what what we missed. I know uh, I, I talked to Marion Kelmer recently, and he's working with stratification of surface applied fertilizer and the problems that you get with that because the fertilizer tends to stay in the top couple of inches, and most of the roots are below two inches. 
Right. Uh, so with no-till, if we inject the fertilizer, then we're going to get it deeper uh, than two inches, obviously, and, and placing it right under the row is, is ideal in that situation. That's a, that's a topic of Marion's going to talk to at our National No-Tillage uh, Conference coming up in January. We've already got him signed up to talk about stratification. And we're going to have him speak at our Conservation Tillage Conference in March, March 14th and 15th, too. Right. Hey, this has been great. I appreciate you doing this for me. Uh, <laughs> okay. Well, it's, it's always good to uh, reminisce. Going back right. to the Ridge Till days, our well, I just mentioned our Conservation Tillage Conference. That conference began as a Ridge Till meeting. Okay, good. Back about 1983, and it evolved to include to add no till about 1990, and became a Conservation Tillage Conference. And we've met at Ada, Ohio, for well, 28 or 30 years now. I think I remember going to a couple of them early on when it was pretty much Ridge Till, and uh, it's. It's pretty much conservation tillage today, so it's strip till, no till, mulch till, right? Right, and, and technology we've added. Uh, so the official name of the conference now is the Conservation Tillage and Technology Conference. There you go. There you go. And I remember when you're reminiscing, you got uh, Conservation Technology Information Center just celebrated their 40th anniversary. Hmm. And I can remember back in the early days, it was called Conservation Tillage Information. Right. Center. And uh, they were some maybe 20, 30 years ago changed it to technology because they wanted to be broader than just uh, tillage. Well, and and we've had several suggestions that we ought to take tillage out of the name, but conservation tillage is an oxymoron, according to right. Don Rikoski. And uh, but we've got that tradition. Uh, we recognize we're talking mainly about no-till these days and minimizing tillage. Right. Uh, we, I, an example of old people like we, we hate to mess with tradition. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we were, if there was another word that started with T, <laughs> we right. substitute for tillage, but we'd probably do it. Well, we still, we still call it no-till farmer. We get somebody once in a while that says you need to rename it regenerative farming, but uh, I got, we're going to stick with no-till. Well, we... Uh, just like no-till or conservation tillage, we're evol constantly evolving and growing and adding right. cover crops right. and then adding livestock, especially to get the regenerative. So right. who knows? It was called sustainable agriculture for a while. Now regenerative is much better than sustainable or conservation. Right. And who knows what we'll be calling it in 10 or 20 years, Frank. We had a speaker at our strip till conference in August in uh, Iowa City, and he said they call it regenerative ag, but he said it's the same thing we, I've been, we've been talking about for 20 years. It just gets a new name once in a while. <laughs> right. he, he said the old days we called it sustainable ag and like that. That was Frank Lesseter and Randall Reeder talking about ridge-till farming. Before we close out today's episode, here's Frank Lesseter one more time. We keep talking about uh, earlier and earlier planting, and it's also come up recently on whether you should plant soybeans before you plant corn. 
And there's some concepts dealing with earlier planning that haven't materialized to the extent that was predicted uh, several decades ago. And that one of them was polymer-coated seed that was in corn and soybeans could be no-tilled in early April in the cold, moist ground. With this protective coating, germination would be delayed for a few weeks until the soil reaches the right temperature. And it's this earlier planting concept offered a way to spread out a farmer's critical labor needs during the critical spring season. And some Canadian growers have successfully seeded polymer-coated canola in the fall when temperatures were as low as 10 degrees. And it's helped many of Western Canada's no-tiller shift to fall-seeded crops that previously couldn't survive severe winter weather. But, you know, the polymer-coated seed thing, it was kind of exciting a couple decades ago, hasn't panned out, and we haven't heard much about it lately. That's it for this episode of the No-Till Farmer Influencers and Innovators podcast. Thanks to our sponsor, Source by Sound Agriculture, for helping to make the series possible. You can find more podcasts about no-till topics and strategies at no-tillfarmer.com slash podcast. A transcript of this episode should be available there shortly. For Frank and our entire staff at No-Till Farmer, I'm Brian O'Connor. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.